0: Welcome, this is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer.
1: Oh boy. (laughs) Oh man, the bleachers sometimes open a little quicker than I anticipate and you get to see some of the fun in the beginning what is going on. And uh, this is just going to be a little bit more of an abbreviated version as I bring in uh, David Tuttle out there on the left coast. And we're going to talk about how 2020 has been a crappy year all the way around, but it gets even worse when baseball starts to lose some of its icons. And uh, there were a couple of deaths recently in baseball that uh, we both wanted to touch on. I know Tuttle Uh, Being on the pitching side uh, recognizes Tom Seaver, who passed away recently as being one of the greatest pitchers of all time and maybe one of those guys that's not talked about often enough. Uh, I believe that uh, in some of the video that I've seen. We'll talk about him and some of the numbers that he put up throughout the course of his career. And the other one that happened most recently is Lou Brock. And I think Lou Brock uh, is is a unique player in so many different ways, but mostly via the stolen base, which has definitely become an archaic uh, form of playing baseball because we're going to look at some of the numbers that he put up. I've got a Blum's Blast mixed in here that I'm going to ask Tuttle a serious question and see if he has an answer for me because this is also something that I deal with when I'm in the booth about, uh, you know, the last podcast we talked about getting a little moody and showing some of that personality. And uh, there, I've got a question for him about how do you handle certain situations in the booth? Uh, The other one is, uh, well, shoot, maybe there isn't another one. I know I had something on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember it right now. Hopefully it comes back to me later. But Tuttle, it's been a rough 2020, and I know you finally come around to the fact that 2020 is the worst year ever. But we lost a great one in Tom Terrific. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, Tom Seaver and some of the anecdotes you've got on him.
0: Yeah, no, it's just funny. I'm a little older than you are, and I think it's uh, always a sign of age. Yeah, I know, but it's always a sign of age as you start losing people like that um, in terms of generationally, you know? So you start saying like, all right, similar to everybody's getting married right now, and then everybody's having kids now, and then everybody's kids go off to college, right? The cycle of life. But then when you start, you know, it was a bunch of things in a row, like an actor and then a singer, and then, you know, two or three days in a row as a baseball player, an athlete. Um, you know, and it's just a little bit, um, I don't know. I mean, it, again, we're not here for very long. Um, hopefully you, uh, you know, you reconcile yourself with whoever you need to do, uh, the reconciling with, but, uh, but yeah, this kind of, this stuff, they always say when it rains and pours or things like that happen in threes, but, uh, so to say Tom Seaver was one of my dad's favorite players is fair. Um, but he would talk about Tom Seaver. Um, the man, as well, in terms of his work yeah. ethic and stuff, and um, you know what a what a solid pitcher he was, and how funny was to watch. And I kind of, uh, I think I mentioned this to you off air. I kind of feel like that was Sandy Koufax before that, like my grandfather, be like, "Oh, you guys should have seen you know Sandy Koufax." You now he retired early, but his curveball and he could throw a hundred, and you know. And then people before that, Bob Feller, like we didn't have radar guns <laughs> yep. back then, but Bob Feller threw so. You know, maybe not in that same vein. Bob Feller had, you know, such a good reputation um, for being the, the hardest thrower of his era. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, certainly Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale together uh, were a dynamic duo, similar to like Burlander and Cole of last year. But Tom Siever, um, when I lived in Connecticut, I would lay in bed at night. And yes, folks, we had the old transistor radio. That was the clock I went to bed with. And I would get Yankee games or Mets games. Um, but like Ralph Kiner, and a bunch of guys would do um, a bunch of different, um, you know, a bunch of it, the way you guys do broadcasting now, like Ralph Kiner be in the booth for the first three innings. Somebody else would come join him. I don't even remember how long, but yeah, I would lay in bed and listen to games, Mets games or Yankee games. And I got to listen to Tom Seaver throw, uh, you know, a couple of games growing up. And uh, I just remember how well revered he was and just how understated he was. It was kind of like, Hey, Tom mm-hmm. Seaver's coming to throw today. And you would watch him. Whereas I, I think we've touched on Nolan Ryan stories like, and then in the last podcast we talked about Randy Johnson. Like, dude, Randy Johnson and Nolan Ryan would come get you. They would they would stand <laughs> yeah. on that mound and they would like smoke would come out of their ears. And, you know, don't you get comfortable in that batter's box? I'm coming after you. Whereas, you know, I look at Tom Seaver a lot more like, you know, he did that with his pitches. He threw really hard, fastballs, good good curveball, and he just went after it and uh, and put up obviously a Hall of Fame career and was just someone to be revered not only because of what he did on the field, but mainly because of um, the standards that he set off the field. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. hear about this off field things um, with him and, and he was kind of a a great role model. And my dad revered him as well, which obviously helped, right? Anytime your dad says, watch this guy pitch, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just watch him a little closer. So yeah, we lost a great one in Tom Seaver. And obviously he was a little bit younger than, uh, than Lou Brock, but, uh, but still just kind of a you know it's a melancholy day when it happens, right? You don't shed a yeah. tear, but it's it's sad.
1: No, because these are our version of superheroes, our players from the past that our parents told us about and that's kind of the beauty of baseball is how we how we transition generationally or try and compare players that you and I watch to players that our parents watched or players that our kids are going to watch and kind of draw that line of of you know of commonality in between but tom Seaver was one of those guys that even as a kid i wasn't i didn't like pitching as a kid but i knew that tom Seaver was one of the guys that you would watch and uh you know he's he's in the hall of fame he was a three-time cy young award winner rookie of the year 12-time all-star three times he won the era title and this is actually something i didn't know until we started going through the numbers he was actually on the 69 miracle mets team and I don't think that gets talked about enough, which is miraculous for a guy who's in the Hall of Fame, and not to mention what he meant to, uh, you know, he's Mr. Met, basically, Is everybody remembers him as being that New York Met. But, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, when you're watching guys pitch, or your dad says, hey, you're going to be a pitcher, son, watch this guy pitch. I remember vividly when my dad, my dad pitched, and when he did coach me, Uh, He tried to get me to pitch. I just did not want to be the guy that gave up home runs. I wanted to be the guy giving home runs. But that gives you an insight into how bad I was as a pitcher because I was giving up home runs. But my dad would always say, you've got to drop and drive. Get on that back leg. Drop and drive. Drop and drive. And guess what, man? Tom Seaver was the ultimate drop and drive guy. Because a lot of the video that we've been able to pull and show on some of our broadcasts is Tom Seaver, you know, in the set position or Tom Seaver getting the pit ball back from the uh, catcher. And dude, the entire front of his right, from his knee down to his ankle was dirt because this dude would just, he'd get on the back leg, he'd sit on it. And all of a sudden he'd be firing home and he'd be getting so low and driving so hard that from his knee to his ankle, he is dragging that thing and pushing so hard. So, you know, he was unique. He was fantastic, but it's a shame that we have to wait until they pass away to say they're underrated. You wish you could give them, give them the appreciation and acknowledgement when they're here, because he was, he was remarkable. And that whole era of pitching to stand out during that era, I think says something too.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I I think it's funny what you said. I I didn't really aspire to be a pitcher as well, which is actually how I think, um, becoming a pitcher happened because you see these kids now that have Tommy John at the age of 14 or 15. You know, I was a athlete, I thought of myself as an athlete, you know, I played shortstop and catcher and I, you know, like to hit. But from the drop and drive perspective is really interesting because I think, um, you know, there's schools of thought around mechanics and pitching. But when you're successful, and we've touched on this a million times, um, when you're successful at something, people don't want to mess with it too much. And I think he certainly got a lot of power out of uh out of those mechanics. Um, you know, there are a few other drop and drive guys, you know, I'm more of the tall and fall thing. But uh <laughs> but you but you do need to because of the angles, right? You can create yep. these angles. But when you have an arm and you're throwing 95, 96 before it's uh before it's been, you know, uh I guess cliche or or it's the norm, then you know, guys would have a hard time catching up to that. So I don't know if he was a gentleman, but you said, you know he was unique and he was fantastic. And of course he was terrific, right? Tom terrific. But he, uh, but he, yeah, he had a certain impression on me mostly off the field. I think Johnny bench was another one. I know, but Johnny bench is still blue emu or whatever, but, uh, (laughs) but Johnny bench was, uh, another guy, Tom Seaver and Johnny bench were kind of household names back then. And my dad really uh, looked up to them, admired them. And so, uh, maybe we'll have a a podcast where we give Johnny bench a shout out before his time comes. And then it makes it, uh, I guess all the more relevant and all the more appreciative, but yeah, I really, uh, you know, you yeah, like I said, it wasn't like I wanted to go to the funeral. It wasn't like I was that close with him. It wasn't any of that. Mm-hmm. It's just melancholy when your heroes, uh, when your heroes pass away. So,
1: Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up, uh, you know, Johnny bench. We actually had him on a broadcast when the team went through Cincinnati. He was gracious enough to come onto our broadcast. He actually has a relationship with Astros catcher, Garrett Stubbs, Uh, So that was a lot of fun to be able to talk to him. But at the same time, you know, catchers trying to throw out base runners during that time was extremely tough. And we lost a uh, a phenomenal player named Lou Brock, uh, a guy who really revolutionized how to run the bases with some of the numbers he was able to put up. So Lou Brock played for the St. Louis Cardinals for a very long time. And it actually came in with the Chicago Cubs before going to St. Louis and played from 1961 to 1979 Uh, He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a six-time All-Star, two-time World Series uh, uh, winner. And uh, he stole some bases. And what's crazy is you look through some of his numbers, his career numbers as far as stolen bases are concerned. And these are probably numbers that will never be broken. He stole 938 total bases in his career. And he had a year in 1974. Dude, are you ready for this? He stole 118 bases. What? We're lucky to see a guy steal 30 bases in 162 games now, man. And I feel like Lou Brock was one of the guys that kind of transitioned. It's kind of interesting that I looked up and I saw that he finished playing in 1979 because what do we remember about the 80s St. Louis Cardinal teams? Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, George Hendrick out there in right field, but these guys were burners. They were the greatest show on turf in St. Louis before, you know, Kurt Warner showed up with Isaac Bruce uh, uh, for the St. Louis Rams. So uh, Lou Brock, another good one that we lost also, and also a phenomenal humanitarian.
0: Well, I've heard good things about Lou Brock. I'll say two things. So Lou Brock, somebody like that changed the game in more ways than he knows. Um, And I'll say one reason is because we've seen now since the steroid era has gone away a little bit, we've gone back to a little more. I mean, we still have a lot more swing and misses, a lot more strikeouts, but a lot more traditional baseball in the sense that you don't need, you know, a masher in center field or a masher in left field. Like, you know, you have different types Mm -hmm. of players. Maybe you'll do pitching and defense and you get a speeder, a speed type guy in in center field. And now we seem to have guys that, you know, small guys that hit home runs and all that. But so Lou Brock came in, started stealing bases, which changed the catching position. You need a strong arm back there. You can't just be a good receiver. I mean, we can't have a guy stealing a hundred bases every year. Right. It also gave um, uh, a role model or fodder for Ricky Henderson. So as you said, Vince Coleman and Ricky Henderson said, Hey, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to have to go faster because the catchers are better. But then, And the pitchers are adjusting,
1: me, too. I mean, that has an impact not just on the catch, but on the pitcher, too. Right. I mean, he, they probably revolutionized the slide step because of Lou Brock.
0: Exactly. So they started, <laughs> and that changed the game in more ways than one, because I know we talked about drop and drive, but as a guy who was slide stepping, it flattens out your arm, and maybe the pitch doesn't have the depth and the, you know, the sharpness that you like to say to it. Yeah. So now you're flattening out pitches for guys that are behind you while you're making them nervous about you stealing bases. Mm -hmm. so i mean he really changed the game when you think about yeah he was stealing bases but that changed the catching position that changed the pitching position i mean we would go to spring training every year and it was like guys with stopwatches right they started timing (laughs) catchers got to be below you know 2.0 or Mm -hmm. 1.9 and the pitchers got to be below 1.5 otherwise the guy's going to walk into second base and they knew what their speed was and they knew what was what was happening so um what's going on over here oh anyway so i would also say that, uh, that not just, I guess, revolutionizing the game from a base running standpoint, he revolutionized how to attack that. And we see that in the modern game today. The other piece of that, which I saw this, and you're not going to believe this because I never bring stats to the table and I didn't Google it, but they showed the uh, all-time World Series OPS, top four guys in all-time World Series OPS. You said he was mm-hmm. a World Series champion twice yep. for minimum 75 plate appearances is Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth. Makes sense. Reggie Jackson, and Lou Brock. Come on. Lou Brock's dead serious. You can Google it now. Hey man. That's all-time World Series OPS based on 75 plate appearances. Lou Brock was fourth.
1: Dude, unbelievable. How about, I mean, playing during that era too, I mean, Bob Gibson on some of those teams and -hmm. and getting to some of those World Series are unbelievable. How come I can't find it? There we go. Postseason batting. Dude, his postseason OPS is
0: 1,079. Yep. And I think Reggie Jackson's right above him at like 1.074, 1.1. Oh,
1: my. Tuttle with a strong pull, man. That is doing some homework right there.
0: Yeah, crazy, isn't it?
1: It is crazy because you you would assume that he'd be an on-base guy, but just looking at the numbers, he had four postseason home runs. He was actually producing some pop
0: yeah and maybe it's the case of hey guys are like hey we want to pitch to this guy because we don't want to pitch to the big boppers behind him. i don't know true uh bob gibson maybe i was watching the st louis broadcast because they got all this stuff i usually try to watch you maybe you were blacked out yeah, who knows good chance but uh but they were mentioning mm-hmm. that um bob gibson couldn't believe they're like we traded for this guy this is <laughs> awesome like they gave us this guy for this guy Anyway, so Bob Gibson was quoted as like not being able to believe that they were able to get Lou Brock over, and like you said, I think most of his career was with St. Louis, although he came up with the Cubs. So, I think a little bit of that came in hindsight, right? Because you don't yep. always know what you're getting in the deal. But uh, Lou Brock, obviously, longtime Cardinal, um, Hall of Famer, superstar, and all around good guy and humanitarian. And uh, you know, just re- I learned a lot about Lou Brock this weekend, and I think he changed the game in more ways than one. And again, it's it's unfortunate that we have to kind of wait till they're gone to kind of appreciate them.
1: I know. Cause it, it, it is relatively easy to, you know, just Google and go to baseball you know, BaseballReference.com and, and recognize some of the numbers, but there are, there is greatness out there and it, 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 it is disappointing that we have to wait till they pass away to really recognize their greatness. But at the same time, it is a lot of fun to dig into those numbers and pull something out like that where we would have never have thought that a, you know, a legendary base stealer would be a, that high in OPS, not only because, you know, uh, he put up the OPS, but because he had so many opportunities to be able to put up that OPS. I mean, that's doing something in the World Series that is truly remarkable at the uh, pinnacle of any uh, any league or wherever is to do something in a world championship, and he did that. Um, good stuff reminiscing about Tom Seaver and Lou Brock. Uh, hopefully, we hold off in 2020 and we don't lose anybody else uh, of meaning for us in baseball or across the league or anywhere else. In um, the harsh reality at the cycle of life that we are getting to that age where people are starting to pass away is a little tough to swallow at times. But uh, I wanted to ask you a question about broadcasts. I know that I said this was going to be a Blum's blast, and it, maybe it is because. You know i taught. we talked previously in the uh, earlier broadcast about being emotional in the booth and being a little bit moody and sometimes if I don't like a guy, I try and bite my tongue and not really express that coming across in a broadcast uh, but something happened over this last week with uh, the astros playing the oakland a's There was a radio broadcast that had Ray Fossey on it, and Carlos Correa was digging in for his first at bat and kind of had to call timeout because he was still digging in. The pitcher was coming at him, and he was like, hold on, hold on, timeout. Sorry, i got to dig a hole here and get comfortable in the box. And Ray Fossey said, just drill him. And I was like, man, I was kind of taken aback. I go, I know you don't like some people, or you, you hate the fact that they're in that cheating scandal situation, but drill him? Really? You're going to sit there and say, I'm going to harm this guy physically and put him on base? I just I, That kind of caught me off guard. And then there was a, there was a game uh, a couple days ago where Ledmus-Diaz took a, a bad swing at a slider and looked foolish, and it happens. Now, keep in mind, Ledmus-Diaz did not play on the team in 2017 that was penalized for cheating, and uh, Kuiper I uh, can't remember his first name, but Kuiper is the uh, play-by-play guy for the A's, and he says... That was the worst swing I've ever seen in baseball ever. Now keep in mind Kuiper has been broadcasting for a good 20, 30 years, maybe. And uh, if anybody has been watching
0: Kuiper was the the uh, Giants, is it no, they're, one are they're so Dwayne Kuiper and yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. So Dwayne is the one with the Giants, so the other yeah. Kuiper brother, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. And he says, oh, this is the worst swing I've ever seen in baseball and kind of made a mockery out of, out of Ledmus Diaz. And I know that everybody on Twitter's like, oh, because he didn't know what was coming. Well, I tell you what, I have, I've played for 14, I've broadcast for eight, and I've seen bad swing. That was a bad swing. But when I saw Todd Frazier take a swing against Justin Verlander in uh, uh, ALCS – I didn't say, you know, I didn't get on Twitter and go, oh my God, that was the worst swing I ever saw. Because you don't have to say that. You know it's a great pitch and you know it's a crap swing. You don't need to berate the guy. But I really feel like there's an initiative in that A's broadcast team that's going after the Astros. And I wanted to know, Tuttle, if you hear that, do you, do you insinuate the same thing? And how does that make you feel as a fan watching the game? Is that appropriate, should I say? Because I know that we have a tendency to be homers and protect our guys a little bit. But, I mean, taking, like, just, you know, vicious digs at other guys, is that is that appropriate in situations?
0: I appreciate the question. It's not my style. It's not my style at all now. Yeah, I'm not I don't think it's ours. Yeah, I don't
1: feel the same way. I mean, I will take shots at Tyler Bauer every once in a while. But, I mean, you don't – I do it tongue-in-cheek. I don't do it as if I want to pain the guy or you know, make him an idiot or, you know, berate him. Or,
0: yeah, or if he kind of – not brought it on himself, but if he, you know, welcomes something in. I told you before when uh, ESPN put his phone number online,
1: he said, <laughs> all right,
0: the first 10 people that call me and leave me a message and say they want the shoes, then I'll send them to him." I mean, or that text me. Like, he made fun of that, which is making fun of himself, so I think – even with some of the things he does, he's kind of opening the door for people making fun of him. And if you do it tongue in cheek and you do it with the right tone, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I will say, um, you know, sorry, because you're, uh, very popular in the white Sox nation, but I just never liked the white Sox broadcast ever with Hawk Harrelson. Oh, they are hard. They were, they were king of bad guys, good guys, that kind of thing. And just didn't endear it. And you know, it didn't endear themselves to me. Because I thought they could have been, as you said, it's not even tongue-in-cheek, but they could have just been a little more, um, I don't know, subtle, the right word. They just could have been yeah. a little more um, subdued about it. And it still comes across. I mean, I think everybody knows that you and TK are employed by the Astros. I mean, if Julia got on air and cut in and said, oh, yeah, we really like, you know, Ramon Lariano and what he's been doing. Now watch, you know, you'd be like, wait a second. This is the Astros broadcast. Like, it doesn't make any sense to be doing that. Mm-hmm. So there would be some uh, incongruity there, but there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, like, oh, this is, you know, I respect this player, this is a good player, or hey, you know, we're going to stick up for our guys like Carlos Correa. Now, I don't know what prompted Ray Fossey, or Ray Fossey, uh, who puts his first name? Yeah. Ray?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Ray Fossey. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. Ray Fossey and Kuiper to start saying things. And as you said, maybe there's that little, that dig that, you know, Hey, you know, they were stealing or they had this or they had that and they just have it in for them. But I kind of think those are the things you would say when you're off air. And then when you're on air, you would say, and now if Ray Fossey's consistent, which is, um, you know, we talked about the different eras. And if Ray Fossey said, oh yeah man back in the day if you did that to nolan ryan you stepped out like he would drill you like that's that's a different way to say the same thing right like hey i'm from the 70s i'm from the old school game you know pete rose knocked me unconscious at the plate right like that's the that's the same kind of mentality without taking a dig at that specific Mm -hmm. player like hey you know i'm i'm encouraging you to harm that guy so I just think it's always, to me, a sign of intelligence to say it in a better, more clever way and another sign of intelligence to restrain yourself and say this. So if I was upset at the Astros personally, as a broadcaster, my, um, I would try and hide that and I would say something along the lines of, oh. Craig called timeout right there. He goes, man, if he was playing against Nolan Ryan back in the day, we would have drilled him. Like that would have been really, yeah, you could put like, it on
1: something right. else and still tell the same story. Exactly.
0: I just told the same story. So I think that's a better way to handle it. So, you know, not even taking a dig at Kuiper and Fossey. I don't know what their intentions were, but I think, as you said, um, getting after people on air specifically, like rah, rah, with your, with your pom poms, is just not like, you know, that's <laughs> like take me back to the playing days, you know, come on, you got to drill them right there. Like that's just, you know, get it, get out of the dugout.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is that, you know, it's hard to take that player out of the whole situation, but you do, there is a certain level, even though you're broadcasting to your home base fans uh, I think this day and age, you also have to have the understanding as much as you're broadcasting to your home, your local fans, there is always the opportunity. And the only reason I heard about this is because it was on Twitter, ESPN you know, uh, tweeted it out, the video of it. And I was like, damn. So it's going to get play no matter what you can try and be as slow as you want and say, Oh, I'm just playing to my fans. Well, guess what? You, the, the ability to have yourself exposed these days obviously is very easy and uh, anything you do say that can be misconstrued as uh, or taken out of context is going to be misconstrued and taken out of context these days on social media. So uh, that's another thing that you kind of have to be aware of when you're calling some of these games, man.
0: We talked about Tom Brennan in last podcast. If Ray Fossey and Kuiper don't – but if they don't think that people are listening and are going to put that out there, even just to antagonize, you know, mm-hmm. hey, let's see what kind of pushback or feedback we can get from the Astros nation. Like, I'm going to put this out there and see what they say. So, they, they you do. You have to be extra careful. But I just think, um, you know, I'm not great at this. I, I have diarrhea of the mouth like anybody else on, at times. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad you not do. A broad- And I'm certainly not a broadcaster, but I always thought, um, you know, parsing your words more carefully is a sign of intelligence, being able to restrain yourself in certain situations, sign of intelligence. Now I'm losing all my fans on Bleacher Blum's podcast based on the (laughs) fact that I snap in parking lots on uh, people who don't put their carts back. You pick your spots. I do. I do. And actually I snap after, right? Like I grumble under my breath. What I typically do, this is like the passive aggressive thing to bring it back full circle. Is they'll put their cart by my car, like 10 steps from where it goes, and I'll go get their cart, put it with my cart, and then walk it all the way over before they leave the parking lot. And then it's like, oh, that guy, oh, oh, that's where it goes. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe. (laughs) So it's a little bit, but right? Isn't that better than going, you're an idiot. You did this. So drilling is a, you know, I think the analogy fits, man.
1: Yep, It does. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, do you want? Do you have anything that you would like to uh, chime in on or add to this, or do you just want to shut this thing down and roll with it?
0: Um, I don't. I, I I always will close up shop as as we both do, and just say, you know, maybe we could make an effort here. I think we got a lot of good feedback the last podcast with our first jobs and things that we enjoyed doing in the off season, um, and then this last podcast talking about specifically like losing people. Right. You know, as we get older, we're going to lose more of these ballplayers that we looked up to um, the last podcast. I brought up Maddox and Johnson, like looking back, like, wow, those guys were, so being old crotchety guys, like we are, um, maybe it's a, it's another good um, kind of uh, slice of the pie to chop off where we can say, you know, we should kind of recognize some of these guys or maybe we come up with some guys that we, uh, that we admired when we were growing up. Cause I, you know, you mentioned being a pitcher. I didn't aspire to be a pitcher. I I admired. It's actually um,
1: interesting to me. I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I admired a bunch of different athletes and a bunch of different kind of guys. And maybe we could talk about like who I feel like influenced us the most um, before they pass away instead of when they pass away. So, hey, we're coming up with ideas on air. I'm still brainstorming on my book from last time my yeah. alias book which i think is genius you sent me the text of dave Grohl. that'd be a great study. coffee
1: table book man <laughs> yeah,
0: it would be awesome and dave Grohl used mr peanut for years which <laughs> i sent that
1: article so, wasn't that funny yeah. i mean that came out like agree. a day after we recorded that podcast
0: it was hilarious but the funny thing is like i would think it'd be funnier if it was like mr michael peanut or something because <laughs> like i don't know mr peanut like i yeah. mean i guess everybody knows he's staying at the hotel it's different when the rock band floats in but <laughs> I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was funny, but definitely um, a great coffee table book. And as I said, we could probably drum up some people to, uh, I mean, knowing this would be even funny to ask you now, like Greg Maddox, Greg Maddox probably used Greg Maddox. Like he yeah. just didn't answer the phone. Like he probably didn't have or an Or he alias probably
1: answered it and was like, yeah. And then just started having conversations with rando people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so like what's,
0: that, that would be another thing to find out. Like, oh no, I, I know I was famous, but I didn't use an alias. I just used my regular name. Like,
1: oh, all right, cool. Can yeah. I come up
0: for an autograph? No.
1: Let's <laughs> <laughs> just, just talk to you later. <laughs> Whatever. get tickets? So, anyway. No.
0: Yeah, yeah. So no, Blummer, great to be with you. Um, you know, this is a, this is a fun, a fun outlet for me. And I realize that you're running on short sleep and they keep cranking double headers out for you. Uh, hopefully, uh, (laughs) hopefully the next few, uh, games go well, that the Astros have something to build on after last night. So we'll have to see.
1: Yeah, they do. It's been a rough stretch and it's been a rough road trip. Uh, they're going into play the Dodgers next week, which is going to be interesting. And it'll also be another blackout, thankfully for you. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, no, this podcast has been a lot of fun. Hopefully this nice quick version, paying homage to some greats that played baseball, uh, was helpful for a lot of people. And uh, just another good time to be on a podcast. We appreciate everybody in the front line, military, uh, first responders, essential workers. Uh, we love you all and hope you're all doing well. And uh, hopefully those fires died down in California. And uh, we just want you guys, all, everybody who listens to this podcast, get after it. Most of all, Believe it. Leave it.